everyone, Siobhan Chapman here and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It's Friday morning, which means it's time for the weekend review and preview conversation where my guests will recap how markets have performed over the past few sessions and preview what you can expect in the week ahead. Today's segment primarily focuses on the current state of the global financial markets and the Fed's course for monetary policy. Joining us for the conversation, I'm glad to welcome back Danny Kessler, Asset Allocation Strategist. Danny, welcome. We're happy to have you. Hi, Siobhan. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Perfect. So let's get started. Investors have been met with an abundance of headlines surrounding the banking system and the volatility across global financial markets over the past week. Where do the U.S. and European banking systems stand today, and what are the impacts systematically? Indeed, they have, Siobhan. It's been uh, quite a busy week for investors to digest plenty of news in the banking sector that has led to volatility in equity and rates markets. It all began at the end of last week when a Silicon Valley lender warned of sharp losses on bond sales to meet unusually large customer withdrawals. Shares in Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, financial group fell 60% that day and a further 20% in extended trade after it said it launched a stock and convertible bond offering to shore up its balance sheet. So the problems at SVB financial group raise worries over potential losses on the bond holdings of U.S. banks, many of which are invested heavily in long-duration treasuries following an influx of deposits during the pandemic. The value of these securities has fallen as the Federal Reserve has raised rates. Longer-duration bonds carry higher duration risk, meaning that changes in interest rates have a larger effect on their valuation. The FDIC recently warned that U.S. lenders face $620 billion in unrealized losses in their securities portfolios. Meanwhile, investors appear to be concerned that clients could withdraw deposits in favor of higher-yielding short-duration bonds. SVB announced that it would need to sell a large portfolio of U.S. Treasuries at a significant loss, seemingly to cover deposit outflows. Pressure on the technology sector was driving reduced deposit balances among the bank's clients. If depositors panic and they continue to withdraw their deposits, it puts further pressure on banks to sell further bonds at a loss and raises liquidity concerns. So late on Sunday, the U.S. Treasury, the FDIC, and Federal Reserve announced joint action to stabilize the U.S. banking system in response to the collapse of SVB Financial Group and Signature Bank. A new bank term funding program was announced, offering loans of up to one year for depository institutions against treasuries and some other collateral. The collateral was taken at face value instead of market prices, meaning that they avoided forced sales in response to stress. Depositors in the two affected banks were insured access to all funds on Monday including those with balances above the FDIC guarantee threshold of $250,000. Also, major banks, including J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley, are in talks to provide First Republic Bank with up to $30 billion in deposits in a deal orchestrated by the government. So we think that the policy actions announced so far are strong signals that U.S. officials will do what they can to keep this from becoming a series of bank runs and prevent a systemic crisis in the U.S. banking sector. This week, Credit Suisse, a Swiss lender, had come under renewed scrutiny after its top shareholder, the Saudi National Bank, indicated on Wednesday it would not provide 
additional capital if it was required for this bank. The Swiss, Na Swiss National Bank mirrored actions from the U.S. and agreed to lend up to 50 million Swiss francs to Credit Suisse. In the aftermath of last week's collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and further financial sector worries, markets are grappling with three interrelated but different issues. Bank solvency, bank liquidity, and bank profitability. In short, we think that bank solvency fears are overdone and most banks retain strong liquidity positions. As such, depositors in the vast majority of institutions remain well protected. However, a small number of individual banks may require central bank liquidity support if funding conditions remain challenging for an extended period and profitability headwinds for the sector are mounting. Staying with the topic of the banking sector, how would you distinguish this crisis in the banking sector from what we experienced in 2008? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Siobhan. Uh, it's clear many investors are worried, and it's easy to think back to the great financial crisis at a time like this. So as many may remember, the GFC had roots in the housing market with a housing bubble, predatory lending targeting low-income home buyers, and excessive risk-taking by global financial institutions. These issues were all systemic and wide-reaching, leading to one of the greatest economic collapses the modern world has seen. As I said earlier, we do not see today's issues as systemic, and we are not currently seeing classic signs of contagion, such as stress in the interbank market. Since the global financial crisis, banks have been required to keep their liquidity coverage ratio above 100%, holding enough high-quality assets to meet deposit outflows. In practice, this has meant they hold significant quantities of U.S. Treasuries. The banks are allowed to hold these bonds in available for sale and held to maturity accounts at cost and are not required to recognize mark-to-market losses immediately if the bonds lose value, like they have recently. Banks might have to realize losses if they have significant deposit outflows that need to be met, leading to the issues we are seeing today but such outflows could also be stemmed by raising deposit rates, so this would reduce earnings. In addition, the value of the unrealized losses will shrink if rates fall. So basically, bottom line is we don't think this is similar to the scenario we saw back in 2008 with the great financial crisis, and we don't think there's reason to worry about systemic issues. Thank you so much, Danny, for bringing up earnings and rates, because now I want to speak about the Fed. Considering these developments within the banking system, does CIO expect any impact to the Fed's course for monetary policy? What about impact to CIO's macro outlook? Yeah, that's another great question, Javon, um, as we should put all this into a broader context for our investment outlook. So... The events have sent markets into a frenzy, with two-year U.S. Treasury yields now at 4.06% after reaching as high as 4.4% on Wednesday and then dropping to as low as 3.7% that same morning. Meanwhile, 10-year yields are at 3.45%, bringing the inversion of the two-year 10-year yield curve to 61 basis points, down from 109 basis points on Wednesday. And if we look at the Fed Fund's futures markets, they're now pricing in a low, lower terminal rate of about 4.9% in May, down from a peak of 5.69% last week. So some big jumps there. Um, the events are a reminder that Fed hikes are having an effect, even if the economy has held up so far. Concerns over bank earnings and balance sheets also add 
the negative sentiment to the country's equity market. While investors will be relieved that these should be contained risks, we think the fundamental outlook for the next 6 to 12 months hasn't really changed, with both a soft landing and hard landing still very plausible scenarios. Although these events do highlight the downside risks that are uh, possible. Meanwhile, February's core CPI reading came in at half a percent month over month in February, above consensus forecasts of four tenths of a percent, another discouraging outcome. Strong inflation prints over the past two months and revisions to the seasonally adjusted CPI have made the short term trend look less favorable. Over the same period, non-farm payrolls have also jumped by 815,000. This data suggests that the Fed needs to raise rates further in order to bring inflation down toward its 2% target. However, the recent bank failures could be a reason for them to pause at next week's FOMC meeting. If the Fed does pause, we would expect them to signal that they still expect to raise rates at future meetings, as their job is not done yet as evidenced by the inflation readings and economic data we've been seeing. So now that we've covered the Fed, what else should investors be mindful of for next week? So there are a few economic releases to watch next week, including existing and new home sales, some activity indices, and durable and capital goods orders. But overall, the main focus will be on the Fed meeting. Investors will also undoubtedly be keeping keeping an eye on activity in the financial sector after this week's past events. Perfect, Danny. Thank you so much for joining us. You've updated us on a tumultuous week across the global financial markets. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Ravon. Happy Friday to everyone here at UBS, and happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Danny. Again, today we have been joined by Danny Kessler, Asset Allocation Strategist. And as a reminder to our listeners, Top of the Morning is a part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the UBS Trending Video Series. From UBS Studios, I'm Siobhan Chapman, and thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.